Welcome to the Arrest or Mimics podcast with your host Ben Talon. Hello and welcome to part two of Arrest or Mimics new music special. It's a two-parter of course and I hope you enjoyed the hyena kill in part one. Uh, we have a long history together working creatively and I've really loved that relationship and, and I'm excited about taking it forward beyond this debut album, Atomized, which you can go and buy now on all major channels, Amazon, iTunes, Spotify and Bandcamp. But part two, we're going to be looking at a solo artist, uh, Dirty Freud, Dirty Freud, for someone not from Yorkshire. Pronounce your T's, boy. Um, he's done a hell of a lot in a very short space of time. So the story goes, to give you a really brief synopsis, I moved to Manchester in 2009, and Danny Skerritt was a friend from uni who lived in my halls a couple of floors above me, and we weren't particularly good friends at the time. It's just because we had our own groups of mates, and we would play football together here and there, but we never got to know one another. And for whatever reason, I would always bump into him in the street once we graduated. Uh, you know, it's kind of, hello, how are you doing, type deal. But we always kept each other's numbers, we stayed in touch, and Danny moved to Manchester, and that's the last I heard. So I get to a point in Preston, where I studied, uh, at the University of Central Lancashire, and I felt I'd done what I could in Preston, and to develop I would need to move to a city. So I thought, okay, well I'm quite like the North West, I will try Manchester. Um, I won't spell the story because it's in the episode, but I moved there, moved in with Danny, despite not really knowing the guy, and... We started a creative kind of odyssey together where I wanted to be an illustrator. I was in the very early stages of making that happen. Danny was writing at the time, um, doing bits here and there as a playwright, as a poet, and would start to find his path into the music industry. And that's what you know kind of brought us together professionally. And we started a project called Quench Music. So I wanted to talk to Danny and I wanted to relay the story to you because I know it very well. Um, about how he would go to uni because he was dissuaded from music and go on a creative writing degree. But he would find his way back from a really unconventional background into making his own music electronically. And it's a really unconventional path, and I think it's an inspiring story for anyone who's gone off and done something, got to the age of whatever, realised it was fucking shit, and wanted to change the way they were going and... Danny's found as much success as a musician now as he did in his playwright and poetry. You know, he did pretty well in that world. But his real passion was always music, as he'll tell us about growing up with a musical family. The input he got, despite growing up um, on a council estate in North London, was fantastic and beautiful from his family, and they looked after him. They showed him uh, great guidance in pushing him towards the arts, Um you know, as he'll go on to tell us, both parents had clashing musical tastes and would sort of fight to push him their direction, you know, their taste in music to follow in the same thing. Um, he had the coolest mum on the planet, apart from my own, of course, um, in a mother who rode for Iron Maiden. How cool is that? Uh, would take him on school holidays on tour with Iron Maiden. So Danny's got some awesome insights into the benefits of going down a different path and actually coming in from a different angle and how that sets you up to stand out from the crowd. It's a really fascinating conversation and it's quite dark in parts. Growing up on an estate in North London was not pretty, as he'll tell us later on, um, but the resolve that gave him and the love from his parents that steered him away from what could have been a dodgier path is really heartwarming stuff. And we're going to be talking to a guy who, off his own back, with no input, with no capital, has gone on to produce music for the director of Breaking Bad's showreel. Um, Danny's done music for his boyhood football club, Arsenal, uh, for promo videos. He's completely self-taught. Um, and we're going to discuss a world where you can now make music from your bedroom, where once upon a time you would have had to have thousands and thousands of pounds of kit to make that happen and it wasn't accessible to everyone and I know some people feel quite strongly that that's a bad thing but Danny's going to underline the positives in that and I think for any creative you know his his resolve his canniness the way he's carved out a career for himself there's so much you can learn and we've got this beautiful deal where Danny will help me out with any music um, that I need so as Dirty Freud he produced the jingle for the intro and the outro to this show so check that out there's some track um, called let me think, I've gone blank. Bragging Rights, of course, it's one of my favourite Dirty Freud tracks. You can go and check him out, he's on. He's at Dirty Freud on Twitter. Shortly after Danny and I recorded this podcast, he signed to an exclusive roster of artists sponsored by Jägermeister, which is a real uh, 
real coup and a real step forward for uh, for Danny. So it's exciting times ahead, um, and actually quite encouraging to see big brands um, getting behind artists with no real you know creative constraint. Uh, Danny would later tell me that he is basically given free creative reign and Jägermeister helped to sponsor him to get him on showcases. They've got him a number of good festivals this summer, including Bestival and uh, Kendall Calling in the Lake District. So go and check him out if you're going to any of those festivals. Let us know your thoughts. Um, really exciting times ahead. And um, big uh, big, big ups to Q- um, and kudos to Jägermeister for that because really cool to see. Um, and let's hope to see more brands doing stuff like that in the arts as we move forward. It's really taking off for Dirty Freud at the minute. Um, his EP is out now and that's called Oedipus and you'll see my art direction on there. Uh, I love working with him and we have a great relationship so we're going to discuss that just like we did with the Hyena Kill we're going to look at it from a solo artist's perspective what it means to have a creative director and how that supports you and how illustration and design fit right into the music world Um, he's a real character and he's really making it happen and it's really exciting to be a part of that so many lessons to come Uh, we're going to talk about developing a character um, as a huge kind of fantasy and science, science fiction fan uh, Dirty Freud has built this alter ego, this identity, much in the way that you know Bowie uh, would have done Slipknot. You know, maybe not to the extremity of those masks, but go and check out his photography by, by Danny Allison and you know over at DirtyFreud.com. You'll see all the branding and the way we've gone for the identity, and we're going to discuss just how real the character is and whether this is a schizophrenic alter ego type thing or whether this is something that we've crafted. You'll find all that out. Really cool stuff. Um, like I say, all these gigs on social media, they're out there. Dirtyfroid.com, at Dirtyfroid on Twitter. He's all over Facebook, he's on the Instagram, he's pretty switched on, he's pretty savvy, and you can go and check him out on SoundCloud as well. Um, go and listen to his music. Oedipus is out on Beatport, which is at Beatport.com. Um, so is the previous one, which was Ego Shrieks, which we're going to be discussing uh, on this episode. Um, he's really prolific with the way he creates his music, and... Also, he's got a new one coming out very soon, which is called The Talking Cure, set for a summer release. And you can catch him live on the 28th of May at Sound Control in Manchester, uh, which is going to be an awesome gig. I'm going to be heading down, so if you're in Manchester, come down and say hello. Um, it's you know really interesting stuff live, playing as a DJ. So that's going to be his EP launch for Oedipus, so come down and check that out. You can't really keep up with his releases, so you find us kind of right in the middle of that chain. Uh, in Sheffield, where he's currently based. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let us know your thoughts at Arrest All Mimics on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash Arrest All Mimics. And thanks again to the sponsors of the show, Heart Internet and Illustration Limited, illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk. Loyal soldiers backing up the show, making it possible for me to bring it to you for free. Um, it's exciting stuff. Keep supporting us, guys. Let us know your thoughts, as ever. Uh, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dirty Freud. So Dirty Freud's joining me in Sheffield in a very, what I thought was foggy Yorkshire. And it's not, it's his neighbour burning burning stuff in the back garden. Yeah. And I'm like you, my mum always used to go wild about smoky washing. <laughs> yeah, people have got stuff on the line and he's just, you know, there, there with a brew. Oh, actually, in a vest. And he's just <laughs> in throwing, a vest. In a, wow. Doing what he wants. Rab Cena's bit out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sick of it. So, uh, Dirty is joining me after his uh, supporting slot for Crafty Cuts in Manchester. Magic. Um, and tell us what you do and uh, about your music. And who's Crafty Cuts for people who don't know like me? <laughs> um, well, as Ben said, I'm Dirty Freud. I'm a DJ, music producer, remixer and a film composer. And uh, my music is under the one genre of like electronica even though it gets broken down into a few subgenres but um we'll talk about that later and crafty cuts um real name martin reeves is um an incredible dj who like as his name says cuts like different parts of like music and blends them together to uh bring you something new and revitalize what's already been done really and uh yeah Really, most of the time it's just me, music, and uh, making things sound different and left field as possible. I guess it's not a world away from from the music you make, right? It's sort of a hybrid of lots of uh, instrumental vocals and your own beats and uh, music. 
Yeah, like pretty much like my, my music, what I've been making, it's it's a lot of like electronica beats, but with um, crazy sounds, which I can like find from like all over the place, like Russia, China. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You've been working with a Nigerian vocalist, right? Yeah, called Christine Bename. She's, um, she's an incredible vocalist and she used to do quite a lot of tribal singing in her own native tongue which is um incredible stuff and she's added a bit of that which you can uh, which you can have a listen to here and there in uh, on a few of my tracks on the SoundCloud but yeah incredible vocalist for, for our listeners I, re I recommend um, a film called Press Pause Play all one word and it's kind of a, a documentary film and it, and it takes a look at um, the sort of creative world we live in now in, in the sense that um, as Danny will tell you um, in a moment the uh, you can now you know make music using you know, a laptop in a bedroom, essentially, um, when 20 years ago you probably would have had to spend thousands and thousands of pounds to build a recording studio <laughs> and bring in, exactly. you know, all these session musicians. Um, and it's, it's, that's a rapid transformation, isn't it? And I mean, I guess Massive. that's a great benefit to you. Ma oh, massively. Yeah. Like, wh when am I going to get to fly over to Nigeria on a whim? Mm. <laughs> but now, like, um, music's so transient. Like, uh, you can beats in uh, in like the bedroom on the train and luckily I can I can uh, get access to a music studio but that's not possible for every musician out there mm. so um, it's great that I can do this from on the road if you will and um, then suddenly go out and speak to Christina like via Skype and um, have a chat and decide what we want to do lyrically and uh, make make a track. I remember the time when, where, when we lived together and then I moved to New Zealand temporarily uh, to do some travelling and we were working together on projects where I'd be directing these nights we'd put on, creating yeah. the posters from a beach, you know, or a hostel bedroom in New Zealand yeah. and we'd be on Skype and you'd be sat in our old flat and, and it was like nothing had changed and we were still able to actually keep that going which is a fascinating thing really and it really makes the world smaller doesn't it oh absolutely the days of smoke signals are gone <laughs> so um you know I'd, i know you're well and you've not been music making music too long how how long have you, have you actually been actively making you know producing your own tracks producing my own tracks i've said like uh the past like five six years like i've been kind of dipping in and out but i'd say the past couple of years is when my stuff's really like gone to another level in my opinion and you know you've you know, you've done some pretty cool stuff in such a short space of time you've just been able to tell us about some of the big gigs and uh, you know and you've you've made a track for the the director of breaking bad's film show really, yeah right? that was cracking like terry mcdonough he uh directed the first and second series of breaking bad and he liked a few of my tracks and wanted me to like uh personally uh, put a track on his uh, showreel so he could use it with clients and stuff, which is always a, a good nod. Like I did that track with, done track uh, with Iggy Pop and Simon Boswell. I'm massively into Simon Boswell. For those of you who haven't watched Shallow Grave, watch it. He does all the, uh, he did the whole like film composition of it. Incredible. <laughs> and uh, Iggy Pop stooges need i say more so uh <laughs> it was great just to have like those two names on a track with myself mm. and um yeah and that kind of like pushed my music more into the into the social and you know fan-based arena <laughs> instead of like being to the left field i've um i've seen um danny progress quite rapidly um in the last few years but uh, there's such a fascinating story that i think um, should be told into, into your sort of roundabout way into, into becoming a composer and a musician. And um, so, I mean, let's go back to a little bit to your sort of childhood, you know, and tell us about your, your parents and the kind of musical education you were fortunate enough to receive growing up. Well, well yeah, like I was really, really lucky in the way that like my uh, my mum, like she did a lot of like roading in her time. So uh, I got to hang out and see like groups like Iron Maiden smash it. I saw like... Um, I saw like other massive like rock groups which she'd be touring with and like uh, just just her love for like industrial like cr crazy like music like I remember seeing Gary Newman and like the way that he his music was so far in the future yet yeah, it would it would sit perfectly now but at the time people were like no he's a radical 
he's a he's he's too far he's he's too far left for us. He's not what we're looking. We're we're usually up for stuff like ABBA or like Depeche Mode. But you know they they all have their place. But it wasn't really where, where I was at the moment. And um, yeah, industrial stuff like uh, Gary Newman and the crazy craziness of like oh, beautiful craft work and stuff like that. I was I was massively into them. The way that they uh, took different sorts of synths that they'd made and uh, blended it into their own unique type of music. The only thing that probably comes close to what they did now is probably like early stuff from Air or Daft Punk. And um, that sounds really crazy. Only the early stuff, only the B-sides. <laughs> but um, that's not what I mean at all. But <laughs> and like my dad, like on his, on his side, he was like, well, this is great that you're learning all this like a uh, rock impressionable electronica but um here's what i'm into and he'd like take me on the journey through this like reggae this uh ragga like this kind of like scar dub and i was like wow this is this is expanding my mind and he was like i'm not having your mum just take you on the journey so you've got to come <laughs> on my journey as well healthy competition between parents yeah <laughs> and uh, massive benefits for you yeah massively. I so where did you where did you grow up um in north london yeah it was north london first first it was north holloway for a bit and then uh we moved to um another estate in uh pinna which was a uh, decent <laughs> mm. and then you I mean you've told me in the past that, that that was a little rough around the edges back then yeah right? yeah it's lovely now but back then you'd have like you know needles all over the place and you'd have like rival gangs and uh, drug dealers on rival different mm. estates like coming round and flexing their muscles. How did you know I mean how did you respond to that growing up as a kid? I mean I, I, I'm, you know did your parents kind of shelter you from it or did they, they make you very aware of it and sort of you know show you why it was wrong? I mean how would that you know how how do you deal with that as a parent? That's something I've never experienced. You know, well so. well I'm just glad that like my parents were uh, open enough and they didn't try and like shelter me. Well they couldn't really shelter me you know I'd be walking home and um, they'd be like, well, don't go down that alley. And being a kid, you're like, well, I'm going to have a look down that alley. And I still remember like being like 12 years old on my uh, skateboard and these like four lads saying, give it here. <laughs> and like, them just taking it off me. So uh, that was the first lesson learned. I, uh, I remember getting the ball confiscated, but I, I'm guessing it, the, the, the price to pay if I'd not given that ball over was somewhat less than, <laughs> yeah. than you might have been facing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, that that sort of thing going on, and you do, you just end up like uh, not accepting it, but you but you end up becoming like quite savvy to it. You kind of know like like I've always been a decent talker, and I've always like been quite quite streetwise in a way, knowing where to go when when was the cut off point mm. to go down a certain place. And I mean, I mean, that's you know, this is one of the biggest assets you'll ever have of a, as a as a as a creative who's got to go out there and fight on your own terms to, to make things happen yeah. because you know in the absence of budget which we're all facing um, then if you can't sort of carve out opportunities and, and tell people you know who you are and, and what you can give them I guess you know did, did that upbringing have a, have a positive effect in that respect? Oh massively like um, my parents were just like you know no they weren't um, gung-ho but when they went out there was a certain pride the way that my mum carried herself out on the mm. estate the way that my, my dad was proud of what he was doing and like that proud like transcended down to that pride like definitely transcended down to me I thought you know they're happy with what they do they don't care what's going around in this place they're just um they're just happy keeping me safe and doing what mm. they gotta do to like get to where they want to get because they they had me like quite young so um you know my mum was only was just turned 18 when she had me. Yeah. So um, she was still trying to get where she wanted to get, but, like, at the same time, she was doing all these wild, like, crazy things, which, like, you know, I thought I thought I was such an ins inspiration to me mm. that I thought, well, if, if she's uh, looking after the home, looking after me, and um, looking after herself, well, you know, I've got no excuses. Mm. And she was an artist too, right? Yeah, she did like uh, loads of art. She did a few illustrations for children's books and around the house as well. Yeah, really talented lady. But so I mean, so did that have a sort of effect on you too? You know, being being exposed to not just music but you know visual communications and and art. You know, because of course we grew up in a time where the YouTube wasn't available. We didn't. The internet hadn't hadn't sort of exploded yet. So yeah. 
I think it's it was ever more crucial then that we were sort of shown the way by our parents, you know, and then and, and that filtered down somewhat in both our cases. You know, my mum was an artist too, and still is an artist, and it's. Um, you know, did that have an effect in, in, because, you know, you were dissuaded from music right at school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I still remember, firstly, my mum doing all this art, like, in the house. I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. And um, I've tried art myself, and um, I didn't have the same sort of gravitational pull that I did to music. And I still remember going into music um, at GCSE, so, like, just before GCSE, I was around 14, 13, and being like, hey this is what I'm into, I'm into like this industrial, <laughs> this industrial electronica, um, a touch of rock, but I'm massively into this like NWA group as well, and like Grandmaster Flash, how do I put this into a GCSE like format, and I still remember my tutor says, this isn't, this isn't real music, you're going to really struggle, and like at that age, it was kind of killer, I was like, I'm telling you my influences, and you're saying it's not music, and I remember just being like, well, that, that's, that's that then. Me and music, it's over. And um, that's pretty much why I went down the uh, creative writing route. Mm. And that, I mean, that, that's, to me, tell us about that. Well, you know, where did that come from? Was that science fiction? Um, yeah. yeah. And like, I'm taking a guess now because I, I know you well. But. <laughs> yeah, my, um, my dad and mum, which I, which I was really happy about, and what I do for my daughter is... Um, they read to me loads, like, my dad would read comics to me, he'd read, like, all these crazy, like, um, stories of, like, Flash Gordon, and I was like, wow, this is amazing, this is a world <laughs> I want to be part of, and then, like, my mum would keep it real by, like, um, reading, <laughs> reading me, like, stories about, like, Malcolm X, and, like, um, and Martin Luther King, and Apartheid, and, like, uh, the vagina monologues, and I was like, um, <laughs> and I was like, wow, great, when's dad gonna read me some more of that, um, more <laughs> ring stuff Nah, it was all really useful and um and i can't thank her enough for that because i got um i got a split i got thrown into the world of fantasy and it was always backed up by like fact and like things that were happening in uh you know the assassination of yeah the assassination of the royal family in russia you know and uh rasputin trying to take power stuff like that <laughs> so uh i think all of that's like mm. worked worked in my favor uh, it's interesting to me because you know uh, the visual stimulation within that, whether you were consciously aware of it or not at that point. You know, we talk about um, Iron Maiden. Wow! You, again, I, I've wow, never listened yeah. to Iron Maiden as I've said to you before. But, but you know the brand. Though. Of course, I know the brand. Everyone knows that iconic, you know, that that logo and uh, the sort of hard-edged logo and the the, uh, the sort of you know sort of skeleton character them and they're with the the white long hair and it's just it, yeah. it immediately jumps out at you and um, so that you know. Again, like we said about in a pre-internet age, it's, it, it meant something and it meant a lot more. You know, I grew up uh, again loving the whole Britpop scene and, and those record sleeves and everything. Yeah. Had massive inspiration and became a reason that I wanted to go to art college. And at that point, okay, granted, I wanted to kind of mimic all that and, and do that. But of course, then what happens is you meet these great shooters who point you on, a, you know, in a direction and on and on your way. Yeah. Um, so you you switched schools right um, along yeah. the way? Yeah, I switched schools because um, first of all I was going to like the local comprehensives, which was cool, but like there was a lot of trouble. You know, you'd have people. Uh, we had we had metal detectors before we went into school, like just to make sure no one was carrying a knife or anything. And you're thinking, <laughs> and you you I look back and I'm like, those were, those are crazy days. These are like, you yeah. know. Kids, we're kids, but yeah. we're still like carrying, we're still like thinking, oh my goodness, we uh, I need to protect myself. Mm. What happens if like it all goes off in school and like I haven't got, I haven't got anything to save myself? And um, pff, luckily, um, maybe the teacher saw something in me and um, they they put me forward for this program where like uh, if you were off in the state, they'd pick like uh, they'd pick like some of the brightest young people off in the state. And you'd get a full scholarship to like um, one of the top private schools in um, <laughs> in uh, Hertfordshire, and I remember remember my mum saying, "Wow, you've been given this opportunity." And I still remember thinking, "I don't want to go. I don't want to lose my friends." And um, I still remember her saying that you've got no choice. It's happening. Mm. You're going. They obviously would have seen that as a way 
you know, overwhelming yeah. what an opportunity. Yeah, like, but when you're a kid, you don't really see that. You just think, well, I'm not leaving my friends. Mm -hmm. Well, this school isn't too bad. I think it'll be okay. But I still remember it was like 20-something in the class, maybe maybe even more. And I wasn't really getting... I was, I was just messing about most of the time. But like in Aldenham, the school that I went to, you know, been around over 400 years, great history, classes no bigger than 15. You, you just get that care. Mm. And like the opportunities in that school as well, it was just ridiculous. Like uh, the trips that you went to, the, uh, the, the, culture, the culture that like we were able to able to like uh really see and like the one-on-one -on -one tutorage i feel that really helped me like uh, get where mm. i wanted to get and you know first first uh, person in my family to go to university so it was it was crazy mm. it certainly gave you a link to that yeah yeah which is which is brilliant so you, so i mean tell tell us about this you know sort of dirty front i mean let's fast forward a little bit okay so you know you, you went to you did creative ryan you went to uni and you worked in theatre and yeah. poetry, and you know, and what else did you work in? Did I worked in, a, yeah, worked in a poetry, like a theatre, like um, brought out a few short stories and a novel, and yeah, and theatre was like my my one like big thing with poetry. Like I ended up like with a residency at the Contact Theatre in Manchester, like uh, writing a writing a play, which I really enjoyed and. Uh, yeah, and then poetry kind of took over, took over my life for a bit, and I ended up writing quite a bit of poetry, and then that kind of linked into like lyric writing, and I remember like a few rappers who I knew who were like, oh, I'd love to use some of this for like um, this rap that I'm doing, and I, and I just even then I thought it'd be great if I could uh, get back into music at some point. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? It's too many people I think fall under the the, the false idea that. Because you've got this degree in a certain area, you know, maybe as an illustrator, in my case, um, a degree in photography, that that's that, you know. And if you don't do that, you've failed, which is complete bullshit. Because yeah. as we'll as we well know, we've we've transcended. The reason I'm sat here recording you today is, is because actually I've been just been curious about all of the arts and been really interested in, and learned a lot from many disciplines um, yeah. and so many different ideas and people. And that's enabled me to open doors and move sideways, which you actually very well can do if you've got the desire to do it, oh, the patience to learn, and the core skills from, from one discipline, in your case, writing. But of course you had this, this musical upbringing and, and you get people who resent someone who's quite, to their, at least to their, to their eyes, quite a quick success story. But I know fine well from that story you've just told me that that's not the case. You've had this 20-year musical background You've gone and learned about creative writing and all these things that you talked about your mum and dad educating you with. And what happens is you, when the touch paper is lit, in your case, learning to DJ and learning the technical skills, yeah. suddenly that all floods into this new arena and you come in with fresh ideas and you've not had it coached out of you because you've not been through music college and, and been taught the sort of rules of the beats yeah. and the rest of it. So then you're breaking rules, but actually it's really quite original and intriguing and, you know... So we moved in together right in Manchester and we quite quickly became really close friends because we sort of knew each other at uni and, and we hadn't done a lot apart from filling for each other's football teams on occasion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was enough of a connection. So I called up Danny and I'll let you take over for me because it's quite a fascinating sort of meeting. <laughs> yeah, well, um, at the time, uh, you know, I was squatting. So I was going from different squats and these squats were terrible places like... Neil's everywhere, people like in really bad ways and it was this one moment where I just remember just seeing people with their eyes rolling back and I thought I'm probably ready to uh, join society again <laughs> and, um, and it was great really because I, I used to like go to the uh, go to the library, charge this phone here and there because in a squat you don't really have any electricity place to wash so I'd go into the I'd go into the local gymnasium have a shower there, go to the library, which was next door, plug my phone in, and um, out of nowhere, like, I see, like, Ben's name coming up, and I was just like, hello. <laughs> and, um, and it kind of blew from there, and he was just like, oh, I'm thinking about Manchester, and I was like, Manchester's a great place, come down, it's going to happen. And then, like, uh, he came down, Literally, was it the next day you came down? It was on the Friday. I think I called yeah. you on like a Tuesday night, and you said, "Look, I've I've got a you know I've 
got to get a place. You didn't give me any reason. I remember a really muffled phone call and thinking, it sounds a bit weird. I wonder if you know. And I thought, I wonder if he's cool me ringing him. You know, I sort of thought, oh, you know, maybe he's thinking, why is this guy chasing me up from uni? Anyway, I would later find out these circumstances. And uh, so he said, come around. And I, you know, you just sometimes you just get a good a gut feeling, don't you? And I thought, I knew I needed to sort of leave Preston to further my own career as an illustrator. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, you know, let's do Friday. We could both do Friday. And no word of a lie, within an hour, we'd, we'd sort of penciled our names in on the flat, <laughs> pending references, which thankfully all went through. And um, and there we go. So we move in together. And it's quite rapid. Um, you know, we quite quickly learn that we're both into wrestling, we're both yeah. into the arts, we're both, you know, a lot of connections happen and we become close friends very quickly. And then what happens is Danny starts to write blogs for, you know, uh, gig venues in Manchester reviewing bands so yeah. I find this quite interesting and, and he comes back to me and he's, he's set up this little blog that he's doing in return for beers yeah. and he's called it Quenched off the back of that which early doors we told people it was just you know quen- quenching your desire for creativity yeah. and all, all this nonsense <laughs> and um, and I took one look at it and what he'd done is he designed this horrible sort of purple backdrop with a with a, um, a really nasty sort of clip art font saying Quenched and a clip art pint glass on the oh, end of it. I was dear. like, oh my God, what is, it? what is that? <laughs> okay, how good his writing is. That's, it looks like vomit brown and sort of purple. And, um, and I said, right, I'll look, I've, I've, I'll, we'll design you a logo. I can, we can do something together here and we can approach bands in Manchester, which had quite a vibrant new music scene. Like any other artist, I wanted to design record sleeves. I wanted to get involved with these bands and thought, okay, you know, we can work with a bit of that direction now and start to do set designs and cool things for music videos and yeah. all this stuff. Um, and it, it it sort of started from there, didn't it? And then and then, you know, you'd obviously uh, wet your appetite again for music yeah, to, yeah. to to navigate back from um, from writing, and you put your foot in it, right? <laughs> yeah, like um, it was during one of our nights, which was called uh, No Right to Be Here, where we put three bands on, and then it would end up like after some beautifully crafted music, um, it would pretty much like turn it up into a piss up. And, and I remember being like quite drunk and one of the uh, DJs, uh, Jamie, um, he was DJing some stuff and I was just like, well, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna tell him that I could do this better than him. And uh, <laughs> so went up to Jamie, like, you know, chest out. And I was <laughs> like, what are you playing here? I could do this loads better than you. This is without any DJing experience or anything like that. I hadn't even got behind a few decks, only a few times at a few family parties. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> and then he was like, all right then, do it. And then I was just like, what? And he was just like, I'll put you down for free gigs. I'll put the dates in and then, you know, you can DJ. And I was like, right. <laughs> you know, still giving it the bravado. And then it was only in the morning when I was I had a bit of a sore head. Oh, I, oh, oh. <laughs> I remember the hangover. I, I got up and, um, and I remember Danny sitting there in the living room and I'm like, you all right? And he's like, he's, he's all uncharacteristically quiet. And then he's like, yeah, I, yeah, I guess sort of, I've been a dickhead. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I've told I've told the DJ at Factory that I, you know, I can do it. And he's, um, he's sort of booked me in. And I'm like, to DJ? He's like, yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. What are you going to do? <laughs> and it was like, literally after a bit of like, quick self-loathing and a bit of scrambling about, I uh, I was able to like, contact a few people who we we were on a good terms with, like at Quenched, you know, because we've done a lot of uh, reviews for, uh, for a lot of bands there. So I was like, oh, is there any chance I could pop in and uh, have a bit of a play on your decks? And they were like, well, you can do that and we'll, and we'll, like connect you with one of our DJs who's who's in there. So which venue was this? I can't remember. Um, it was Soup Kitchen. Soup Kitchen was one of them, and That's the right. other one was um, Night and Day. And I still remember like this guy just being like, um, "Have you ever DJ before?" And I was like, "No." Do you know what this? No. <laughs> and there was a lot of no's going on, <laughs> and uh, and then before I knew it, like I just started to pick it up, and I was just really infused with like. Mi- dropping like little bits of different music and blending them together and I was like wow I'm really into this and um <laughs> and then like before I know it I'd be in there like seven eight hours a day and like <laughs> and they and in the end they were like wow uh, you're getting quite good uh yeah just yeah maybe you should do some stuff here as well and before I knew it I was starting to like get slots all over the place and I hadn't even done a set yet 
Mm. So it was. Uh, it's it, funny, isn't it? Yeah. Because what we what we started to do is really kind of get addicted to the, the hustle side of yeah, making a, a lot out of a little. Because we didn't have a website, we didn't have a brand. I'd drawn this sort of crummy logo with two fish, yeah. so you know, quenched obviously. Yeah. Better than a pint glass, but still pretty crap. <laughs> and um, we, um, so we, you know, we started to Manchester's quite a tight knit creative community, yeah. which is actually a massive benefit if you need to kind of find your way around that. In London, you kind of get swallowed up, and you know we didn't have the goods. To, we knew we had the goods, but we didn't have the the means to back it up. We didn't have yeah. capital. We didn't have a website. We didn't have social media. We had nothing to to show what we'd done previously. So there was a lot of saying yes, um, <laughs> and we Jeff Thompson from a company called Unconvention. We put on a lot of creative events um, around arts and music. We put together this plea in an email one Saturday morning to say, look, oh, you know, we, we could come down as press. We don't have the money to buy these tickets, which are expensive, but very worth it because yeah. of this event. Anyway, long story short, we got in this event. We got Our plea worked. They let us through the doors. And we kind of snuck into the press area. We got in the back bit in the band. We chatted to Don Letts, who's a, a fantastic and a very cult filmmaker who worked with Sex Pistols and Bob Marley and... And uh, as a radio show on Six Music on the BBC, and he's, a, he's a, just the coolest cat you've ever met. And Definitely. he, um, you know, we got chatting to this guy, and I said, "Oh, Don, you know, is it cool? can we use the interview? Is that cool?" And you know, he was like, "Yeah, yeah, do what you want with it." So we sort of posted this on this blog we set yeah, up. Yeah. Um, I did an illustration to, to support the piece, which end, would then, in a roundabout way, would ended up going on the front cover of Design Week for a feature on designers working yeah. in music, where they featured us. So quite quickly, we were sort of learning to accept that if we looked the part and we acted the part, we suddenly were the part. Yeah. So there was a lot of chasing our tail through that time. And I started to see you then, you know, go and learn logic with Apple and yeah. uh, sit there together working from home, the two of us, and making these sounds. And I was like, what is that? Your stuff's really strong. I really like that. I, I have to do something visual with that. Yeah. So we started to collaborate then. And I start to, you know, think about who... Who dirty, so tell us who Dirty Fry was because this is these are conversations that evolved and, and yeah. created this like, persona that you work under now. Ab- absolutely, like Dirty Freud, he was. I still remember being um, coming up with him. Like the name, like originated uh, at university when like uh, I took yeah I took a module in ethics and philosophy, and I was massively into I was massively into Freud and Carl Jung and. Um, and utilitarianism as well with Emmanuel uh, Kant and hedonism, and I still remember like uh, thinking, "Wow, like Freud, he's really, uh, he's really dirty. He's really into like." And it just became a phrase that I'd throw into like uh, conversations if like someone had been a bit like rum, I'd be like, "Oh, spit dirty Freud that," and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then suddenly like it just grew into this like whole idea, this concept of like uh, dirty Freud was this thing. Which, which was, uh, which was something which couldn't really be explained, but was, uh, but in some ways was too far in the future for, for people to explain. And then before I knew it, I was like calling myself Dirty Freud when I was making all these new beats and stuff. Which you can imagine um, for an illustrator who, at the time, I was working full time as an illustrator. But when I say full time, I was paying the bills, paying the rent. But I actually had a lot of evenings on my hands. I was, you know, as a single guy at the time, I had a lot of time to play so I get given this idea and this musician is making these fantastic original beats and a blank canvas so my head explodes with concepts <laughs> of who this you know, is he a Martian is he a time traveller all these stuff and, yeah. and we just you know it's almost like this persona took over because it's like we, you know we okay we create might have created it by fiction but actually what happened is it became reality because suddenly it's real and it's there and these yeah. tunes are happening and it's unique and we, you realise you know, we both realise that you're doing something quite different to everything that's out there at the moment in a city like Manchester, which is actually quite open-minded to, to new stuff and has got a rich electronic history yeah, itself, right? Absolutely. You know, DJ like Dave, Dave Haslam and, I mean, you know... Just dirty stuff like New Order as well. Yeah. Like, guy, holy other. Real trendsetters. Incredible people. Uh, so this is, so, you know, this is what, what happens and he starts actually getting gigs now and all of a sudden he's making this bullshit become reality <laughs> and it's, suddenly it's not bullshit anymore. Yeah. and um, tangible. And it's exciting. So you, you, what you mean? You've started to bring out singles, right? Tell us a little yeah, bit about how started, Dirty, Dirty Fry evolved. Wow, like I still, it still blags my head sometimes. Like I bought out this one track, first of all called "Wizzing Through Time and Space," which was actually from a, 
something that your mum said, wasn't it? Like, veering <laughs> into different planes of existence. Yeah, and I was just yeah. like, and I was, I was like, that's crazy, that's crazy stuff. And like, um, I was like, I'm pinching that, I'm pinching that for your mum. So like, uh, the track was called Whizzing Through Time and Space, and the track's got a kind of a 808 state feel. And um, I was just like, yeah, this music's killer, this is killer. And then I was like, well, how do I top that? And it took took a while for me to even like contemplate making another track, and then suddenly like it was just like I was just it was like I was in the zone, and I was just constantly coming up with new ideas, new new different sounds. I was like collaborating with different people, and I was just like, wow, I think that I think this this is growing. And then like every time I was thinking, oh, this is this is going to be like the best track you do. I'd make another track, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Um, and then I worked with that like. Uh, this choir from uh, <laughs> this choir from India, like in Goa, actually, and um, and that's a track called Myths and Madness, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a a really trippy track. Which I was like, wow, how, how, where do we go from there? And then suddenly you meet other bands who who were suddenly like, oh, I've heard this new electro dub sound you're coming into. I'd love to do some vocals, and that's how I ended up hooking up with uh, Bradley Lynch. And uh, we ended up doing Footsteps and Murky Dealings together, which, like, uh, Ben Art directed the uh, video to Murky Dealings with uh, Kev Bannon. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been growing from It was there. a fantastically exciting time, wasn't it? Because yeah. you had, we had two young lads in a, in a city like Manchester and we were able to pull up, pay our bills through um, a sort of hybrid of all our creative work yeah. in different areas, you know, doing what we had to do. But then, actually, you know, we found ourselves at Open Mic Nights um, talking to rock bands and rap bands and uh, reggae bands and yourself and working and actually all of a sudden for me as an artist to to work with all these crazy sounds and have to come up with different visual concepts for all of them you know on a shoestring is is amazing because I te- I'd turned so many technical corners from all these new influences and ideas uh, all the while you're doing the same in a musical capacity uh, collaborating like you say with all these people so collaboration and networking, you know, we, 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 I can't, I never, pre- I can't preach it enough because yeah, what we're doing is trying to market ourselves exclusively on no money through social media, like everyone is in, in today's creative industries. But to support that and to build a foundation through face-to-face interaction is so important, right? You yeah. know, we we did that in, to the nth degree, in Manchester, and Massively. built ourselves a network. You know, how important has your collaboration with other musicians and vocalists and people from overseas being in your development you know uh, uh, massively like um if for me if i hadn't have uh, collaborated with people in different countries in different uh, in different areas of the uk i probably wouldn't have like uh, been on different labels like i collaborated with this uh, canadian lady and um she ended up ended up putting a good word for me so i ended up uh, having a track on well i ended up having a couple of tracks on this on two labels in Canada, one called Filthy Sounds, which um, they brought out agendas, which Ben did the artwork for. And that was your first EP. Yeah, right? that was my first EP, and then they brought out um, the first first rendition of Tears Tears of a Savage, which is now like a new bigger track. But at that point, um, I didn't even realize that what I had with that track. I kind of thought, oh, it's ready, it's ready now. But now it's been reworked. It's even better. And um, and I can't thank East Van Digital enough for putting that first like a uh, rendition out. And um, I'm looking forward to when we put out the full Tears for the Savage. <laughs> so we uh, <laughs> so we changed changed it up so we could put it out twice. But um, and this year's just been great because I landed on a a Philadelphia record label called Deadly Records, and the progression in this record label's been great. It's like every year. I go to a different label, which is um, which is slightly doing bigger things, mm. and uh, and it's just great, like being supported in such a way by all these different. And labels. so you've released uh, an EP recently, right through Deadly Records. Yeah, called Ego Shrieks. That was a three track EP, and it's got a lot of traction, and it made it to number nine in the Electronica uh, in Electronica chart. And from that, I was a uh, I've been nominated for Best New uh, DJ and Music Producer of 2015, which is incredible because you've got some outrageous DJs and music producers in that list. So just just a great nod to mm. know that your music's going in the right direction. And it's great because we, as with everything, we've we've had this rich history of working together and 
I guess there's not many musicians that can kind of say they've got a creative director, no, which, which no, is going to have some pull, isn't it? Yeah, because when you're exactly. floating with aged, you know, labels, it's not the industry it used to be where you would get given a record deal on the champagne floors and suddenly you're on top of the pops. That world is well and truly gone. Yeah. Um, so what you're looking at now is you know social media statistics and sponsorship deals and all these yeah. all these things that you've got to do now to make it. You've got to be so much savvier than you ever used to be because there isn't that middleman and there isn't the twenty people at the label who are going to look after you. So we worked quite well together because I always understood as an artist the importance for an good musician to look good and be the brand like all creatives have to. Um, you know, having grown up, like, like we said, loving these record labels and the way that bands looked. Absolutely. We, I knew that the challenge to get Dirty Frog with this original sound that's not particularly conventional and it's not very chart friendly, um, <laughs> to find that niche yeah. actually instead and be the person who the geeks love we had to make you look right, so what we did is we brought in friends who were photographers and we shot according to this whole idea of this persona, Dirty Freud, and this time travel and space exploration and yeah, all this stuff. magic. So on this release, you know, we, um, Ego Shrieks, tell us about the tracks and kind of, you know, because we can talk about sort of how that influenced the look of the EP, which is quite uh, quite different to some of the previous stuff. Yeah, like um, the first track... The first track, um, Ego Shrieks, that was kind of born from like the idea of uh, when you get like so famous, so like a uh, big, you kind of start speaking in these new like tongues, and you 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 don't like make sense to the to the common person anymore. You're just you, your reality is so far gone that you're talking in like these things which wouldn't matter to you and me. You're just talking in like a kind of gibberish. So it so that's where ego shrieks came from. That's like part of it and you know the other. Yeah we also yeah we also talked about the, the flip side of that and, uh, yeah. and what you tend to find is with anyone who achieves success there's always the detractor the detractors who, you know, who can't handle the idea that they've only known you for two years and yet you're doing what they've tried for twenty years to do. And actually, you know, when when the truth is that no, you've you've had this lifelong of input and you've been a little savvier. You've maybe you've worked harder for it, and you tend to get this resentment and people trying to knock you down. Um, you know, mm. so you know, I think that those are ego shrieks as well. Yeah, but. definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, and then um, you know, and then we've got like um, we've got Orchid Orchid Street, uh, which was a song which was born when we were in a. Uh, New Orleans, when mm. we were in New Orleans, and like I was just like encaptivated by like uh, that street. It was in the French Quarter, and they were saying that like uh, how how like how like this place explodes with uh, sound and artistry when it comes to when it comes to Mardi Gras, and I was like, wow, this is incredible. The the sounds the sounds that they used, and like I was able to like get a few emails out there, and I ended up. Uh, like getting a few samples from from a few of the artists out there, so which I ended up using in this uh, Orchid Street track, and then I uh, relayed all this information to Christine Benamé again, and she was like, "This is incredible! These sounds, your electro beats with um with this kind of like jazzy bluesy sound. I've got to do the vocals. So like it's gone from." So in my head, I look at it and I'm like, so this track was born in New Orleans, made in UK and then expressed in Nigeria <laughs> and then and then brought back again to be released in the UK. Mm. If that's not an endorsement of, uh, of the, the positive side of the digital capabilities that we're blessed with now, then I don't know yeah. what is. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> and is it, am I right in thinking that the track's got a, a slight supernatural... Influence. Yeah, like um, the whole the whole voodoo thing, like um, that they were talking about in New Orleans. I was like, wow, that's incredible, man. It's like, <laughs> I've got to, I've got to put something something like that, and that goes well with like the other piece of like the puzzle. I kind of like uh, we came up with this genre called like ghost drone, which was uh, which it changes every time. But today it's going to be uh, the uh, it's going to be the mournful cries of fallen soldiers, which have. Uh, been haunting, haunting the footsteps of uh, past lovers. <laughs> That's what Ghost Drone is today. The amount of conversations we had in that front room in our flat in Manchester um, about what Ghost Drone was, and so many offshoots, creative offshoots happened from that. Nonsense might be one angle on it, but we, you know, you have you have to believe in what you're doing and the brand and and the, yeah. and the you know the fucking everything that comes with it. You know. And, yeah. Look at 
you know, there's so many examples out there. We talked, you know, and again, it comes back to visual. But look at Bjork, look at oh, Kate Bush. Yeah. Uh, these one amazing. Look at Radiohead and and the, the rich visual language that supports that. And the, the the you know everything's consistent right across there. They are living their music and yeah, their their, their creativity. And I think the audiences connect the most with people who are turned up to themselves turn up to a hundred you know that's the stuff that comes across when someone's so unashamed about who they are and what they do and i think oh, that's, that's something that i'm seeing with the music you do i don't know if, I, mean, I don't know if we're allowed to say but you had an approach from a certain well-known musician recently you turned down i mean yeah yeah absolutely like it's it's one of those where you've got to be comfortable with like the musicians that you work with and i'm no no way going to be the first and last person to uh musician-wise, to creatively think, oh, that's not right for me at the moment or that's just never going to be right for me. Mm. So uh, you you end up, like, making your choices. And for me, if you make... If you're, if you're not comfortable fully with it, then you shouldn't go through with, like, a collaboration. Mm. For me, how are you supposed to be creative and give your 110% if your heart's not in it? Mm. And that's... That's why sometimes you've got to say no. You do. It's, it's, it's no different because I, I saw an example recently where the young fathers who won the Mercury Prize this year were approached for collaboration by Emily Sander, who is fan, a super musician, but she obviously she's incredible. not the remit and young fathers are on their own path and they've, you know, they've just won the fucking Mercury Prize, so of course yeah. they're keeping on the direction. And they'd said thanks but no thanks and turned that down. Yeah. And then you look at it and you think, okay, that could have been massive, that you could have made you very rich overnight uh, to collaborate with a music, uh, musician like Emily who gets mainstream radio airplay, which is hard to get these days for yeah. anyone who sticks to what they do. Not that Emily hasn't, but they knocked that back. And then you told me that, you know, you, we won't name names, but you turned down a, a potential collaboration or had a conversation about yeah. a potential collaboration with a, a recently departed boy band member that pretty much every teenage girl in this country would <laughs> pass out if you'd said that, but you turned that down. And, yeah. um, because we, we I, you know, we, I was so happy when you told me that because if you turned around and said I was collaborating with him, I would have, I would have fallen on the floor like those girls. <laughs> yeah. Because your credibility would have been pissed on overnight, yeah, put yeah. out the fire gone. Because you spend years building up this cult persona and actually sticking to what you do and appealing to that niche audience. Yeah, yeah. And then when it goes off and when that, when it finally happens, then you reap the rewards. I've done, I've done the same thing. It's like early on, I, I saw the the potential riches in a much more corporate arena and a much more rigid version of what I what I do now and yeah. I could have done that technically but I wouldn't have enjoyed most of the, the subject matter that I was working with so yeah. I stuck to my guns and I went through a year of nine grand earnings in Manchester a year of 14 grand earnings and really kind of scrimping knowing I had the faith and I had the belief that actually the brand that I was creating and my style and what people were seeing in that other art directors that when I when things actually happened and people bought into what Ben Talent's about that actually I could make good money and I could love nine jobs out of ten exactly. and I think creative honesty with yourself is something that if you want to have longevity and you want people to really connect with that and, and emotionally invest in what you're doing it's so important to, to stay faithful to yourself massively massively so um, so where can people pick up the EP well like the EP you can pretty much just go to deadlyrecords.com and um, you can buy it from there you can go to like my Facebook page as well which is a facebook.com backslash dirty freud you can pick it up from a uh, spotify you can even go to um the dirty freud website dirtyfreud.com soundcloud.com backslash dirty floyd dirty freud slash freud and uh yeah and it's pretty much it's so easy to get you can even go into google and type dirty freud ego shrieks bang mm, it'll come up there you go. pretty yeah. much everywhere at the moment which is uh what i wanted mm. wanted to, to be i wanted the internet to be saturated with my with my name <laughs> <laughs> and when you do you know check out the artwork on the ep because oh, we love working on that together so and, I'm, and this isn't just a self plug i'm just you know when you talk about concepts it and just... trying to get to the core of what we're doing we uh we I was in Brighton and came across yeah. this batch of old photographs from Crazy. the 1920s. I mean, original prints on sort of sepia, worn-out paper. So I bought them for like 30 pence each, big pile, and took them back to the studio, ripped them up, repieced them together, created these kind of images to respond to the supernatural element that we talked about from New Orleans yeah, yeah, and those yeah. tracks. And um, you know, and anyway, check that out and let us know what you think because um, it was just great fun to work on. And you know, we're on a, on a journey in, in, uh, in bringing this character mm. to life for audiences. Um, and the sort of last thing we'll touch on um you've recently become a father right yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you don't often hear people talk about the you know 
uh, freelancing and, and fatherhood and all those things and it, yeah. you know, so tell us about that how's that um, uh, affected it, uh, things it's like without without like uh, my little girl Iris who's now 10 months yeah my little girl and my Mrs Rue like I probably wouldn't be at the stage that I am now because having having like a baby like um, <laughs> 10 months ago it meant that like I had to take a year of just working in the studio like no gigs like I was so I was always on hand just in case and um, he found found that like my work became so strong because I was in the studio constantly like um, preparing the sounds that I that I was gigging already and I'd always been putting it back like yeah I'll do it next time yeah I'll do it next year <laughs> but like um, with with the new like baby there was no choice I had mm. to get studio work I had to be on hand and I had to um, really push push myself to like uh, motivate myself, I should say, to really like get in the studio mm. and like mix and master all my tracks because they were all right. They were decent enough to gig, but like it was one of those where even I could tell that they were a bit ropey in parts. And it's the kind of stuff, isn't it? It's like I, uh, the same thing. It's the kind of thing where you you know that you should be sitting down and, and doing this stuff and distilling your skills and, and yeah. the process. But actually, without sometimes without the pressure and without something thrown in front of you, a little, oh, yeah. what some people might see as a roadblock is actually, a, a, a you can see it as a stepladder also, oh, a little absolutely. elevation to actually go and do that and distill that process. I feel my work's more focused now, you know what I mean? Like, before I'd, like, you know, I'd hang out on Facebook. I carved out a lot of it you know, opportunities that way, but, like, there was a lot of messing about, there was a mm. lot of um, time being wasted, yeah. but now, like, my time is so precious, you and know. And you seem just as prolific in your output as you ever were, you know, it's just that I see you less on social yeah. media, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and maybe the phone calls are a little shorter, but that's yeah. life, and, and it's great, yeah. you know, because, you know, what you, to be still making the music you're making, you know, with a, with a family now, it's, it's a wonderful thing, and um, that comes with its own positives and its own influences, you know. Yeah, you say yeah. it forces you to think and actually use your time more effectively. Exactly, and now, you know, like before I was a bit more understand when someone was like, yeah, I've got to do this, but um, we'll hook up again. It's usually one chance, and if, if, you don't, if we don't hook up, then it's done. It's mm. over. So the last part, um, last part of the show, and I ask every guest this, and I call it the shark in the tank, um, oh, wow. but, you know, it's a... It's a love-hate piece of artwork, the Damien Hurst piece, and it's my my favourite artwork. Um, and I ask you to act, you know, to name something. Um, it could be an all-time thing, it can be a present thing, but it's a love or hate. Could be a piece of creative output, you know. So it could be a book, it could be a film, a comic, uh, a piece of music. Just something that fires you up, that gets you out of bed in the morning, or you really want to change because you think it shouldn't be there. Just give us something. Give you something. Wow, <laughs> who who is firing me up at the moment? Um, I'd probably say, like, uh, yeah, the new uh, Wolverine comic, Death of Wolverine. Like, it's it's incredible. It's a full part. It's like, is, is, <laughs> is he going to be dead? Are they killing him off? Are they going to reboot him like they did with Captain America when they killed him off in Civil War? So it's, it, I feel, at the moment, that's inspiring me, me to do this, like, new tracks and you know really like push forward because that's that's a massive gamble marvel are saying we're gonna kill off one of our best love characters that's a that wow is incredible that's saying to it's anyone he's got his own fucking hollywood brands exactly. hugh jackman might have to go on the door <laughs> exactly that is that is that is marvel saying putting the cat amongst the pigeons that's them saying we're ready to move on wow and for me yeah. that's that's what you gotta be like in every day I've got to be like ready to change things that'd be ready to that, shake that'd things that'd be up. like killing off Rick Grimes in The Walking Dead <laughs> exactly exactly big balls move big ballsy move scriptwriter's neck on the blocks <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly so that's what you've got to do you know adding like a wild little element into my music it mm. may work it may not but you've got to go for it it's kind of a does a bear shit in the woods question but, <laughs> yeah, but do you want to you know do you see yourself Working, you know, would you like to work in the inside in the comic book realm? You know, is that you know the way things are going now with digital platforms? I'd say it's entirely possible. I'd love to. I'd love to like um, turn my hand to a bit, a bit more sci-fi and a bit more, a bit more comics. Like if if I got if I got the call to work on a comic musically, I'd probably (laughs) lose my mind. And um, (laughs) but once again, that's one thing which I know I'd if I turn my hand to it, I'd smash it, I'd Mm. kill it. 
work out. I hope that happens one day. I'd love to see that. Who knows? Maybe I'll maybe I'll do the maybe I'll do it. We will make it happen. Maybe yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Create the comic. <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> well, uh, Dirty Freud and Danny, it's been a pleasure. Oh, thanks for having me. Been such an adventure already. Um, spending time as a close friend of Danny Scary and seeing the development of the Dirty Freud character and seeing where he's going. I've never known anyone put out quite so much music, quite so prolifically and, and consistently good. Really fresh original sounds. Go and listen to him on SoundCloud. Um, you can find all his stuff through dirtyfreud.com. Um, as I mentioned, he's on the Jägermeister brand, done music for the director, or Terry Madonna, of uh, Breaking Bad. Exciting stuff. And I've seen this guy go from a hangover to a respected electronic musician who's on the up and up. So I hope he took some great things from that. Uh, I certainly love watching what he's doing and being a huge part of it on the art direction front. It's only going to get stronger. And get down to his gig, 28th of May, Sound Control, Manchester. Oedipus EP launch uh, as part of the Jägermeister evening of entertainment. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Let us know if you want to come on the show. I've started to get approaches from people now, which is nice. You guys are pretty shy. I know creatives are a bit reluctant to move forward sometimes in self-promotion, but just hit me up. I'm a nice guy. Come and tell me you want to be on the show. Tell me who you want to see on the show. And we'll try and make it happen. If you've got something cool going on that I think would work, then, you know, hopefully it's going to it's gonna go on. And people who've got in touch so far, I'm all over it. Some of them have got on the show. Some of them are still waiting for the right project. But I'm always going to listen. So let me know your thoughts. Really want to develop the show with you, my loyal audience. And you're absolutely crucial to making it happen. So keep listening. Keep recommending. Please pass on the word for Arrest on the Mix. Cheers. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next time.